0: This podcast is a presentation of Faith Assembly of God where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Get more information online at faithishere.org to join us each Sunday morning at 9 or 11 a.m. Thank you for making this podcast a part of your week. Amen, amen. He's on his throne. He alone is Lord. How many came hungry for the word today? Take your Bibles out. Turn to Second Timothy chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2. I've been looking forward to Sunday all week long. It's finally here. What a great day God has made. Let us stand together for the reading of God's word. Second Timothy chapter two. We have been talking about training and equipping believers to do the work of the ministry. And we're studying right now. First and second Timothy Paul's letters to a beloved son in the faith. About how to be a good warrior. How to be a strong soldier. How to be equipped and prepared for battle. This is a training ground. This is an equipping station. That's why Faith Assembly of God is here is to train and equip believers to do their work. If you're watching by way of video venue. We welcome you today. Great to have you as well. There in the back building, building six, and we welcome all of them as well this morning. Second Timothy chapter two and verse number one. You therefore, my son, be strong. Everybody say, be strong. Be strong. That was wimpy. Be strong. Be strong, strong. a little bit better, and the grace that is in Christ Jesus and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be the first to partake of his crops. Father, right now, I pray that as we open up your word, you'll open up our hearts today, that we will receive exactly what you have for us this morning. I pray that we will be equipped, ready, trained for battle. We love you. We thank you for your presence. We ask all this in your mighty name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Paul is writing this letter to his beloved son in the faith from a prison cell. He has been chained there for his testimony and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows that his execution time is coming very rapidly. And so he writes Timothy and he says, Timothy, be strong. Don't give up, don't quit, don't stop. Be strong in the Lord, be strong in the faith and fulfill that ministry and mission God has called you to fulfill. In fact, their world was about to explode. It was about to be rocked with violence. Within a short time, the Roman legions would lay siege to the city of Jerusalem and totally destroy the temple in that city. All violence and persecution was about to break out against the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I've invested the message of the gospel into you, Timothy. And now I want you to be strong and take that message and invest it in others also. Invest the message into them that they might invest it into someone else, that they might invest it into someone else. Do you know every one of you who is a disciple of Christ is called to make a disciple? You're not here just for yourself. You weren't saved for your own comfort. All of us have the assignment of passing the gospel on and making disciples of others who then turn will make other disciples. You ever thought about it? The extinction of Christianity is always just one generation away. Let me run that by you again. The extinction of Christianity is only one generation away. But the good news is, as long as one person disciples someone else uh, who will disciple someone else, uh, the good news will be passed down from generation to generation to generation. Uh, But we've got to be faithful in the calling God has called us to. In communist China, in spite of a totalitarian government of communism, that tells you there is no God, that shuts down all the churches, that kicks out all the missionaries, that destroys all the Bibles, uh, that tries to stamp out every form of religion. Uh, Yet there have been millions in China who have, committed the gospel to faithful men who would commit to someone else, uh, who would commit to someone else, uh, and now there are probably 60 million born-again Pentecostal believers in the country of China alone uh, because you can't stop out the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody told somebody else who told somebody else. And you're here today because someone discipled you who had discipled them, who discipled them along the way. And so my question for you this morning is, who are you discipling? Who are you equipping? Who are you raising up to take your place? Verse number one, Paul says, be strong. The word be strong is in the passive tense. It literally means let yourself be strengthened. Uh, In other words, you're not going to make it in the Christian walk by trying harder. You can't do it yourself. It's not by flexing your muscles. I was sitting around the table the other day and 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 Ben and Sam were sitting there, and one of the twins, I forget which one, said, said, Grandpa, do you have guns? And I thought he was talking about I have a couple of shotguns in my closet. I thought maybe he had seen them. And I said, Yeah, I've got a I've got a couple of guns. And he said, Well, Daddy's got guns. And I thought for a minute, I said, Jason doesn't have any guns. And then I realized Jason was talking about these guns. He's been telling Ben and Sam about his guns right there. And I want to tell you. And so I looked over at him and I said, you know what? Grandpa's guns are bigger than your daddy's guns. (laughs) You don't get stronger by flexing your muscles and drawing from your own strength. The kind of strength the word of God is talking about comes from outside of ourselves. It comes from the grace that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, be strong in God's grace and the grace that he has given you that my friends is your source of strength. You see, that power drill or that power saw or whatever power tool you're using is no good whatsoever unless you plug it in. And so it is in the kingdom of God. You've got to be plugged into the source of that power that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he gives you that power, he gives you that ability to to love people that we need to care about and love along the way. We can't do it in our own strength. Uh, He gives the patience to function and operate when we're getting frustrated and everything's going wrong all around us. Uh, He gives the courage uh, in the face of fear, but that power and strength must come from the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the apostle Paul is gonna give us three metaphors, and if you have your outlines, you can look at the back of your notes right there. There are three metaphors that describe the kind of strength you need to be a disciple and to make other disciples along the way. The first metaphor is that of a soldier, the dedication of a soldier. Verses 3 and 4. Look at it again if you would. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him. Who enlisted him as a soldier? Now, you've seen the old footage of uh, the soldiers getting ready and they're going to World War I and, and they're all there and the, and the streets are lined with people and the bands playing as they're getting ready to go out to war and the banners are flying and the crowds are cheering and everybody's going nuts and the confetti's falling down on the streets and they're clapping and shouting for these soldiers who are going off to that exciting event. So it would seem. But I want to tell you, as soon as they get on the battle lines, everything changes. There's no more cheers. There's no more clapping. There's no more shouting. There's just hunkering down in a foxhole while the bullets are flying over your head. Seeing the TV commercials about join the army, it's a chance to travel and see the world. And if you join up now, you can earn enough money to pay your way through college. Uh, I want to tell you, these things, although there may be some perks involved in it, do not make you a soldier. True soldiers are there when the war breaks out. True soldiers have to go to the front lines of battle. And I want to tell you, that ain't all fun and travel, if you know what I'm talking about. A good soldier implies, when he says be a good soldier, implies there's a warfare going on. Now, I'm not talking about a warfare right now in Iraq or in Afghanistan, uh, but I want to tell you there is a warfare that is taking place in the spiritual arena right now. There is a spiritual battle, a spiritual war between the forces of good and evil, between God and the devil and all the forces combined. Uh, There is a warfare going on right now. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, look at verse number 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. There is a real spiritual battle going on. In fact, the moment you said, Jesus, come into my heart, and into my life, uh, immediately you were thrust into that warfare. You're fighting now against temptation that would try to come along and defeat you and drag you down and bring guilt in your life. You are fighting right now against that war of discouragement and despair. Do I give up? Do I hang in there? How long do I go? Uh, You're fighting to hold on to the faith, uh, not to give in to those doubts and unbelief that bombard your mind. You're fighting for your loved ones in prayer, and you're saying, God, save my kids. God, cover my children. Uh, God, save my mom or my dad. Save my brother or sister. And you're wrestling over souls. Spiritual warfare. And these battles will not be won by the faint of heart, but by brave soldiers who are ready to fight for the Lord, for those they love so very much. There's a battle going on. Be a good soldier. Be a good soldier. God is looking for good soldiers in his army. Can he count on you? How are you doing? Can it depend on your faithfulness and prayer? Can he count on you to keep fighting till the battle's over? A, there's a, just a few observations I want to make about being a soldier. The first observation is this. The battle is hard. You got to know it's hard. It's not easy. It's a hard battle. The soldier knows when he signs up, when he's going to war, that he is headed for danger. He will have to endure deprivation. There will be times he will go without sleep. There will be times he might not have food or water available. There will be times he will be without shelter, he will be just sleeping out underneath the stars. He knows it is a difficult road ahead of him. Now, what kind of difficulties do we face when we make a commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ? If the battle's hard, if it's hard in the spiritual arena, what kind of difficulties what we face along the way. Some people think the difficulties are this, we don't drink and we don't chew and we don't go with girls who do. I want to tell you that's majoring on minors. Let me talk about some real difficulties that are in wrapped up in the call to follow God. Turn to Matthew chapter 5. Look at Matthew 5 and verse 39. This is what it means to follow Christ. Matthew 5 and 39, and 40. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak also. I want to tell you, that's the warfare. That's the struggle right there. Jump down to verse number 40. Or excuse me, verse 42. And give him, give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Come down to verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies. That's the hard part. That's the challenge. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. You pray for them. That's the hard stuff. Jump to chapter 6. Look at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. That's the hard part. Going totally counterculture with our finances and our stuff. Turn to Luke chapter 6. Verse number 24. But woe to you to you are rich for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all men speak well of you for so did their fathers to the false prophets. Jump down to verse 46. But why do you call me Lord, Lord? and Not do the things which I say. You see. When we take this Sermon on the Mount seriously, it creates for the child of God certain difficulties and hardships because it is totally counterculture. It goes against everything that is going on in America today, and immediately when you take these precepts seriously and try to apply them to your life, it will bring difficulties. So the battle's hard. Second, I want you to know that the Battle requires focus. Look back at verse number four. He says there are no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Stay free from civilian affairs. Now, if you're a Roman soldier in that day and age, you could not even marry until your enlisting time had ended or was over. Now what does this mean? No one entangles himself in the affairs of this life. Does that mean we withdraw from life itself? Does that mean we quit going to school? We quit going to work? We, uh, our kids still need shoes. We still need to balance the checkbook. We still need to provide for our family. What does it mean we don't entangle ourselves in the civilian warfare? It simply means this. Your focus in every activity of life is on that which is eternal. So when you're at work, you think you're there to earn a living, you're there to be a light and a witness. So you aren't at school, you think you're there to get an education and go to college and so on. it goes. I want to tell you, you're there to be a witness and a light. It means that in everything we do, our primary focus is on that which is eternal. Paul was a tent maker. But he used that vocation to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He still made tents, but when he go into cities, he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Many of the disciples were fishermen, but it was not their great pursuit of their life. Uh, God says, I've got a higher calling. Uh, I want to make you fishers of men. Uh, and I will tell you today, when you answer the call to follow Jesus Christ, uh, your highest calling is not making a living. Your highest calling is being a fisher of men. And the good news is, when you make that your focus, that your primary pursuit, God takes care of every other detail in your life. Uh, That's why he says in Matthew 6 and 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added unto you. I'll take care of everything else in your life. So if we're going to be soldiers in God's army, we've got to have our primary focus on the Lord Jesus Christ where it's got to be. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you'll get the earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you'll get neither. Great statement. The Third thing that this soldiering involves, it requires hard labor. It's a tough road. It requires focus. It also requires obedience. Obedience. Look at the rest of that verse. That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. The soldier's whole aim is to please his commanding officer. That's our our goal. That's our desire, to please our commanding officer. Now, back then, when the generals recruited, uh, got their army together, they did their own recruitment. Today, there's recruiters that go out. They recruit for the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and there's recruiters all around that sign you up. Well, here in battle... The generals recruited their own soldiers. And so he says, if you're going to be a soldier, you need to please the one who enlisted you for battle. The 19, in the 1800s, there was an Italian general by the name of Giuseppe Garibaldi. Garibaldi, And he was a legendary war hero. He had great armies. He won a lot of wonderful battles for the Italian army. And he recruited his own dedicated army of volunteers. And when they asked him why he was so victorious, why he won so many battles, he would always point to the recruits. I knew how to recruit the right kind of men, the right kind of soldiers. And so they asked him, well, how did you recruit such great soldiers, great fighters? He said, this is the appeal I made. It would go like this. I offer neither pay nor quarters nor provisions. I offer hunger, thirst, forced marches, battles, and death. Let him who loves his country with his heart, not with his lips only, follow me. Now, doesn't that sound like the appeal of the Lord Jesus Christ? Whosoever would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, die to himself. If we'll lose our life, we'll find life. Uh, It's the same kind of appeal Jesus Christ makes today. You see, Jesus Christ died for you, not just to give you a ticket to heaven, uh, but to enlist you as a good soldier in his army. And so the good soldier tries to please his commanding officer. Can he count on you to march in step with him? even when everybody else takes a detour, even when everyone else tries to take the the simple way out, even when those are trying to find the broad road that's out there, they don't want to go through the narrow road? Are you an unfaithful soldier that one day will be a deserter? It is faith in Christ that gives us the victory. We do not fear our enemies, for Jesus Christ has already won the battle. And I will tell you, if you'll stay in God's army, we win, we win, we win. First metaphor is a good soldier. Second metaphor is that of an athlete. Look at verse number five. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Paul was kind of a sports enthusiast. He uh, talks about sports a lot in his writings to relate to those of the Greek culture. He talks about wrestling at different occasions. He'll talk about boxing. He describes running. He talks about exercising. All these things are analogies that the apostle Paul uses in describing the Christian life. The Romans and the Greeks were sports enthusiasts. They had their Olympics. They had their Ithmian games and all those activities going on. Now, Paul says if we're going to be Following Christ, we need to be athletes, spiritual athletes. And that implies a couple of things. First of all, it implies training. You're going to go into athletics, you're going to train. In the ancient Olympic games, they had to train at least two years before they could even qualify to compete. And those who would go into athletic endeavors would make all kinds of sacrifices. They would deny anything that might hurt their performance along the way. So, they could perform their great feats of athletics, skill, and ultimately win the crown that was before them. But what happens is when we clap for the athletes that win, say whoever wins the Tour de France, or whoever wins the Olympic Games, or whoever wins the Super Bowl, or whatever it may be, we all get excited, we clap and applaud because we've been sitting in our chair watching them. We haven't had to do the training. Real easy to sit back and clap those. We haven't seen the hours of sweat in the weight room when they're out there pumping iron every single day. We haven't seen them running the roads early in the morning while we're in bed sound asleep. They're out there at 5 o'clock in the morning running the roads, getting themselves in shape, training. But I want to tell you, the only ones who win the crown are those who train properly, those who discipline themselves. There's an article in the Scientific American that said Olympic competitors endure 1,000 hours of intense training in order to achieve one single percentage point of improvement for competition. Every 1,000 hours of training, you might improve one percentage point for competition. 1992, American Gail Devers. Ran the 100 meter dash. She won the 100 meter dash by six one hundredths of a second. But Gail suffered from Graves' disease, what is not commonly known as just one year before the Olympic trials, the Olympic races. She came within two days of having both of her feet amputated. After surviving that scare, she began to train and push herself towards the goal. Her persistence and self discipline. With all that, she won the gold one year later because she trained, she pushed herself, she equipped herself. And if we're going to be fit for God's kingdom, if we're going to be fit soldiers, if we're going to be equipped for battle, we've got to go into spiritual discipline, spiritual training to make it happen. Second thing he says about these athletes is you've got to follow the rules. In the Greek games, there were judges who were very careful about enforcing all the rules In fact, to be a competitor, you first had to be a citizen of Greece or the area you were representing. And you also had a good reputation or you couldn't even enter the games. Needless to say, steroids wasn't a real problem back then. And it does no good to win the race, only to have the judge come along and say, you're disqualified. I watched, you see the Summer Olympics a few years ago? Remember those guys that ran in those uh, 100-meter races or 200-meter races? If they stepped on the line of the other track, even though they finished second or third or wherever it might have been, immediately they were disqualified and everybody else moved up a bump because they stepped on the line. He says, if you're going to follow Christ, you've got to compete according to the rules. We've got to follow the rule book. We're going to compete at all the NCAA cross country championship race in Riverside, California, 123 racers out of 128 missed the turn. Mike Delvecchio was the first runner to stay on the right course as he was running the marathon race. And, and so, and he waved to all the other, other runners to follow him where he was going. But some had already gone ahead and they were going straight and some of the others went straight and 123 went straight and did not make that turn. Only four other runners followed him as he made the turn on the proper course. And so the 123 were all disqualified. Only five finished the race. The interviewer asked the Mike Delvecchio What did it feel like when the whole rest of the crowd was going straight and you were the only one making the turn? He said, well, they thought it was funny when I went the right way. Isn't that the way the world reacts to us? We're in a race, and the world's laughing at us. But I want to tell you, we're the ones going the right direction. We're following the race that has already been marked out by the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, and so matter what the rest of the crowd is going uh, and where they're headed down the road, uh, I want to tell you, follow Christ. Follow the path he set out before us. You may be laughed at along the way. Uh, The crowd may reject you, uh, but rejoice over the ones that have the courage to follow you when you make that turn and go the right direction. From a human point of view, the apostle Paul was an absolute loser, He called himself the scourge of the earth. He was like refuge. He was like garbage. Uh, There was nobody in the stands cheering him on when he came down to the end of his race. Uh, In fact, he says, all in Asia have turned away from me. They're not even with me in prison anymore. I am all by myself. And yet I want to tell you, the apostle Paul was a winner. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Look at verse number 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord. The righteous judge will give me on that day. Not only me only, but also all those who have loved his appearing.
1: An athlete.
0: What kind of athlete are you? How are you training for the race that God has called us to run? In 1968, it was the Summer Olympics in Mexico City. They were running the 26-mile marathon. And the race was over, the medals were being awarded, they were doing the national anthem or whatever country won that particular year for that nation. But there was still one runner out on the course. And he was running for the finish line as they were already doing the awards and the medal ceremony, and that was already all taking place, but he would not stop running. You see what had happened is he, he had fallen down earlier in the race, had injured himself in the fall. He was bleeding. His muscles were cramping up. He was suffering from dehydration, but he kept on running. The runner would not stop until he entered the stadium, and all of a sudden, when they noticed one more runner coming in, uh, bleeding in his legs, uh, the whole stadium began to stand up and cheer for him. The Olympic runner was from Tanzania, and he enters the stadium. That he's running his last lap, and when he finally finished that last lap, the reporter said, why didn't you quit? Why didn't you get medical help after you fell? The runner said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start a marathon. They sent me here to finish the marathon. I want to tell you, God didn't call you just to start the marathon. He wants us to finish. Don't quit. Don't stop. Never, ever give up. Keep right on training. Keep yourself in spiritual shape so that you might be strong. Turn to Hebrews. Look at Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Kind of get the picture of a marathon right here. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Don't ever stop. And the third metaphor, the apostle Paul uses that of a farmer. You find that in verse number six, the hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Paul have, has other times used analogies of a farmer or land or keeping the land. In 1 Corinthians chapter three, he compared the local church to a cultivated field or a, or a farm that had been sowed. And he, he says, some sow the seed and some plow the ground and some water the seed, but it's always God who gives the increase. So here he talks about a farmer and he says, one thing about farming, it's hard work. It's not easy. How many, how many grew up on a farm? Let me see your hand. We got got any, any farmers here today? Uh, Yeah, a few. Okay, good. You're going to be a farmer today. You got to get up at the crack of dawn. You work in the blistering heat until your fingers are bleeding. Then you stagger into bed at night, only to run the same routine all over again. But the problem is, if the field is left to itself, it will only produce weeds. Crops will not come up. And if you want to reap a harvest, it's going to take work. It's not going to happen by sleeping in late every day. It's not going to happen by just going about life as usual, business as usual. But it takes effort, it takes energy to do the work God's called us to do. He says, the hard working farmer. The second thing we know about farming is it takes patience. Patience. The harvest won't come in a day. In fact, you can't plant the seed and expect to be eating corn by the next month. And a disciple doesn't mature overnight. You don't lead someone to Christ and say, good, you're on your way. Have at it. Go out in that cruel world, make it as best you can. We wish you the very best. Send them off with a prayer. In fact, I would encourage every one of you find a disciple, it's going to take at least one year of being with that person, of reading the Bible with that person, of sharing spiritual lessons with that person, of getting that person involved and acclimated into the body of Christ right here at Faith Assembly of God. It takes at least one year. But I will tell you, if you are faithful, if you don't give up, if you keep meeting with that brother, you keep praying with that brother, you keep calling him and checking on him, uh, he keeps calling you, you keep loving on each other, you show the word of God to him, you train him in godliness and in righteousness, uh, one day there's going to be a great harvest uh, because he's going to in turn disciple someone else uh, who will disciple someone else, who will disciple someone else, and the body of Christ grows. The problem is, many of you, I would adventure to say most of you, don't have anybody you're discipling right now. Isn't that what Paul said to do? Isn't that what we're talking about? Let me read verse 2 again. And the things you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Turn to James 5. You guys are all shouting and cheering about soldiers and athletes, but now we're we're getting to where we live. Getting a little quiet in here. Verse 7, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Farming requires patience. It's not a one day, a one night, a one week, even a one month process. And the harvest doesn't come at the end of the service. He says the harvest comes at the end of the age. That's when the tally's given. That's when the Lord comes back. That's when he comes with his reward with him. The harvest comes because those you disciple will disciple others and so on. And the kingdom of God will. Multiplies. Now, I want you to just think out of the box with me for a moment. Just imagine what would happen if everybody here today discipled one person this year who would be trained to disciple someone else the next year, who would be trained to disciple someone else the next year. Now, you move from addition to multiplication because what happens is all those you're discipling also are about the business of making disciples. And so it goes from 1 to 2 to 4 to 8 to 16 to 32. And, 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 and we could reach the city if we got serious about what God's called us to do. Mind-boggling. Everything worth doing in life comes with a price. Keeping your marriage together takes work. If there's a price involved. When you graduate with a college degree, there's a price involved. You had to study hard. You had to pay a lot of money. You had to work hard to get there. Starting your own business, making it successful, there's a price involved. Uh, I will tell you to be strong disciples, to be strong soldiers, athletes, and farmers, there is a price to be paid. Uh, There must be a single-minded devotion to get God's work done. Uh, A soldier involved with his commanding officer and athlete is set his goal is winning the prize winning first A, a, a farmer's all about the harvest he's all about reaping the harvest and so he sows the seed and he waits and he waters the seed and he cultivates the ground and he pulls up the weeds because one day he wants to reap a harvest but i will tell you there are no shortcuts in the discipleship process But to win, you've got to center your life around the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, if you would, verse number seven. I'm going to conclude with this thought today. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ, the seed of David, was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of change. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. I want to tell you, the word of God is not bound. Uh, Even though the apostle Paul is in prison when he writes this, the word of God, he said, is still going out. It is still mighty to save today. And this is what gave the apostle Paul the strength to keep on going, not to give up, not to quit. So I want to tell you, he encouraged us. Remember, verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. When you're tired, remember Jesus Christ. When you're discouraged, remember Jesus Christ. And even though the road may be difficult, a life of discipline like a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer will lead to great joy and great reward and a great, great harvest along the way. How are we doing? Church, how are we doing? Talk to me. How are we doing? We come week after week. We hear a pastor's messages. We leave. What are we doing? What are we doing? There's not a lot of shouting going on this morning because I'm talking about discipline and hard work, following our commanding officer and staying on the path and operating according to the rules and disciplining ourselves and making disciples. That's what Paul told Timothy. It's good for us today. Good for all of us today. Let's be about the business of leading others to Christ, making disciples. Invest your time and your life and your energy on that which is the very most important in our lives. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for every person that is here today. You love them so very, very much. I pray, God, that we would live up to that model you've called us to live to. Be good soldiers in this warfare, this battle we're all fighting engaged in. Be good athletes who will train and put those hours in, train ourselves in the word and godliness in prayer. Pray, God, will be that patient farmer who will plant the seed, who will take the time to water the seed, who will invest our lives into someone else, someone else. There'll be a great harvest at the end of this age. We Thank you, God, for the privilege we have of enlisting in your army, following you, serving you, obeying our commanding officer. I thank you. I thank you, mighty God, for this great, great privilege. I pray right now for those in the house who may not have yet received you as Lord and Savior. They've never enlisted in your army. They're lost today, they're going the way of the crowd. I pray, Spirit of God, that you'll speak to their heart, their spirits right now, draw them under your side. Do your work in them. I ask it in your name. Every head is bowed, every eye closed. If you're here and do not know this podcast has been a presentation of Faith Assembly, where our mission is to connect people with Christ and to experience life. Thank you for listening this week.